0: chapter 7 of biographia literaria this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by nicole lee biographia literaria by samuel taylor coleridge chapter 7 of the necessary consequences of the hartleyan theory of the original mistake or equivocation which procured its admission memoria technica we will pass by the utter incompatibility of such a law if law it may be called which would itself be a slave of chances with even that appearance of rationality forced upon us by the outward phenomena of human conduct abstracted from our own consciousness we will agree to forget this for the moment in order to fix our attention on that subordination of final to efficient causes in the human being which flows of necessity from the assumption that the will and with the will all acts of thought and attention are parts and products of this blind mechanism instead of being distinct powers function of which it is to control determine and modify the phantasmal chaos of association the soul becomes a mere ends logicum for as a real separable being it would be more worthless and ludicrous than the grimalkins in the cat harpsichord described in the spectator for these did form a part of the process but to hardly scheme the soul is present only to be pinched or stroked while the very squeals or purring are produced by an agency wholly independent and alien it involves all the difficulties all the incomprehensibility if it be not indeed os imoige de kei the absurdity of intercommunion between substances that have no one property in common without any of the convenient consequences that bribe the judgment to the admission of the dualistic hypothesis accordingly this caput mortuum of the Hartleyan process has been rejected by his followers and the consciousness considered as a result as a tune the common product of the breeze and the harp though this again is the mere remotion of one absurdity to make way for another equally preposterous for what is harmony but a mode of relation the very esse of which is percipi and ens rationale which presupposes the power that by perceiving creates it the razor's edge becomes a saw to the armed vision and the delicious melodies of Purcell or samarosa might be disjointed stammerings to a hearer whose partition of time should be a thousand times subtler than ours but this obstacle too let us imagine ourselves to have surmounted and at one bound high over leap or bound yet according to this hypothesis the disquisition to which i am at present soliciting the reader's attention may be as truly said to be written by st paul's church as by me for it is the mere motion of my muscles and nerves and these again are set in motion from external causes equally passive which external causes stand themselves in interdependent connection with everything that exists or has existed thus the whole universe co-operates to produce the minutest stroke of every letter save only that i myself and i alone have nothing to do with it but merely the causeless and effectless beholding of it when it is done yet scarcely can it be called a beholding for it is neither an act nor an effect but an impossible creation of a something nothing out of its very contrary it is the mere quicksilver plating behind a looking-glass and in this alone consists the poor worthless eye. the sum total of my moral and intellectual intercourse dissolved into its elements is reduced to extension motion degrees of velocity and those diminished copies of configurative motion which form what we call notions and notions of notions of such philosophy well might butler say the metaphysics but a puppet motion that goes with screws the notion of a notion the copy of a copy and lame draught unnaturally taken from a thought that counterfeits all pantomimic tricks and turns the eyes like an old crucifix that counterchanges whatsoever it calls by another name and makes it true or false turns truth to falsehood falsehood into truth by virtue of the babylonian's tooth the inventor of the watch if this doctrine be true did not in reality invent it he only looked on while the blind causes the only true artists were unfolding themselves so must it have been too with my friend alston when he sketched his picture of the dead man revived by the bones of the prophet elijah so must it have been with mr southey and lord byron when the one fancied himself composing his roderick and the other his child harold the same must hold good of all systems of philosophy of all arts governments wars by sea and by land in short of all things that ever have been or that ever will be produced for according to this system it is not the affections and passions that are at work in as far as they are sensations or thoughts we only fancy that we act from rational resolves or prudent motives or from impulses of anger love or generosity in all these cases the real agent is a something nothing everything which does all of which we know and knows nothing of all that itself does the existence of an infinite spirit of an intelligent and holy will must on this system be mere articulated motions of the air for as the function of the human understanding is no other than merely to appear to itself to combine and to apply the phenomena of the association and as these derive all their reality from the primary sensations and the sensations again all their reality from the impressions ab extra a god not visible audible or tangible can exist only in the sounds and letters that form his name and attributes if in ourselves there be no such faculties as those of the will and the scientific reason we must either have an innate idea of them which would overthrow the whole system or we can have no idea at all the process by which hume degraded the notion of cause and effect into a blind product of delusion and habit into the mere sensation of preceding life nisus vitalis associated with the images of the memory this same process must be repeated to the equal degradation of every fundamental idea in ethics or theology far very far am i from burdening with the odium of these consequences the moral characters of those who first formed or have since adopted the system it is most noticeable of the excellent and pious hartley that in the proofs of the existence and attributes of god with which his second volume commences he makes no reference to the principle or results of the first nay he assumes as his foundations ideas which if we embrace the doctrines of his first volume can exist nowhere but in the vibrations of the ethereal medium common to the nerves and to the atmosphere indeed the whole of the second volume is with the fewest possible exceptions independent of his peculiar system so true is it that the faith which saves and sanctifies is a collective energy a total act of the whole moral being that its living sensorium is in the heart and that no errors of the understanding can be morally arraigned unless they have proceeded from the heart but whether they be such no man can be certain in the case of another scarcely perhaps even in his own hence it follows by inevitable consequence that man may perchance determine what is a heresy but god only can know who is a heretic it does not however by any means follow that opinions fundamentally false are harmless a hundred causes may coexist to form one complex antidote yet the sting of the adder remains venomous though there are many who have taken up the evil thing and it hurted them not some indeed there seem to have been in an unfortunate neighbour nation at least who have embraced this system with a full view of all its moral and religious consequences some who deem themselves most free when they within this gross invisible sphere chain down the winged thought scoffing assent proud in their meanness and themselves they cheat with noisy emptiness of learned phrase their subtle fluids impacts essences self-working tools uncaused effects and all those blind omniscience those almighty slaves untenanting creation of its god such men need discipline not argument they must be made better men before they can become wiser the attention will be more profitably employed in attempting to discover and expose the paralogisms by the magic of which such a faith could find admission into minds framed for a nobler creed these it appears to me may be all reduced to one sophism as their common genus the mistaking the conditions of a thing for its causes and essence and the process by which we arrive at the knowledge of a faculty for the faculty itself the air i breathe is the condition of my life not its cause we could never have learned that we had eyes but by the process of seeing yet having seen we know that the eyes must have pre-existed in order to render the process of sight possible let us cross-examine hartley's scheme under the guidance of this distinction and we shall discover that contemporaneity Leibniz's lex continui is the limit and condition of the laws of mind itself being rather a law of matter at least of phenomena considered as material at the utmost it is to thought the same as the law of gravitation is to locomotion in every voluntary movement we first counteract gravitation in order to avail ourselves of it it must exist that there may be a something to be counteracted and which by its reaction may aid the force that is exerted to resist it let us consider what we do when we leap we first resist the gravitating power by an act purely voluntary and then by another act voluntary in part we yield to it in order to alight on the spot which we had previously proposed to ourselves now let a man watch his mind while he is composing or to take a still more common case while he is trying to recollect a name and he will find the process completely analogous most of my readers will have observed a small water insect on the surface of rivulets which throws a sun-spotted shadow fringe with prismatic colours on the sunny bottom of the brook and will have noticed how the little animal winds its way up against the stream by alternate pulses of active and passive motion now resisting the current and now yielding to it in order to gather strength and a momentary fulcrum for a further propulsion this is no unapt emblem of the mind's self-experience in the act of thinking there are evidently two powers at work which relatively to each other are active and passive and this is not possible without an intermediate faculty which is at once both active and passive in philosophical language we must denominate this intermediate faculty in all its degrees and determinations the imagination but in common language and especially on the subject of poetry we appropriate the name to a superior degree of the faculty joined to a superior voluntary control over it contemporaneity then being the common condition of all the laws of association and a component element in the materia subjecta the parts of which are to be associated must needs be co-present with all nothing therefore can be more easy than to pass off on an incautious mind this constant companion of each for the essential substance of all but if we appeal to our own consciousness we shall find that even time itself as the cause of a particular act of association is distinct from contemporaneity as the condition of all association seeing a mackerel it may happen that i immediately think of gooseberries because i at the same time ate mackerel with gooseberries as the source the first syllable of the latter word being that which had coexisted with the image of the bird so called i may then think of a goose in the next moment the image of a swan may arise before me though i had never seen the two birds together in the first two instances i am conscious that their co-existence in time was the circumstance that enabled me to recollect them and equally conscious am i that the latter was recalled to me by the joint operation of likeness and contrast so it is with cause and effect so too with order so i am able to distinguish whether it was proximity in time or continuity in space that occasioned me to recall b on the mention of a they cannot be indeed separated from contemporaneity for that would be to separate them from the mind itself the act of consciousness is indeed identical with time considered in its essence i mean time per se as contradistinguished from our notion of time for this is always blended with the idea of space which as the opposite of time is therefore its measure nevertheless the accident of seeing two objects at the same moment and the accident of seeing them in the same place are two distinct or distinguishable causes and the true practical general law of association is this that whatever makes certain parts of a total impression more vivid or distinct than the rest will determine the mind to recall these in preference to others equally linked together by the common condition of contemporaneity or what i deem a more appropriate and philosophical term of continuity but the will itself by confining and intensifying the attention may arbitrarily give vividness or distinctness to any object whatsoever and from hence we may deduce the uselessness if not the absurdity of certain recent schemes which promise an artificial memory but which in reality can only produce a confusion and debasement of the fancy sound logic as the habitual subordination of the individual to the species and of the species to the genus, philosophical knowledge of facts under the relation of cause and effect, a cheerful and communicative temper disposing us to notice the similarities and contrasts of things that we may be able to illustrate the one by the other, a quiet conscience, a condition free from anxieties, sound health, and above all, as far as relates to passive remembrance, a healthy digestion, these are the best, these are the only, arts of memory. End of chapter 7